I failed to mention as we began the service that this is actually Pentecost Sunday. I don't actually have a particular sermon on the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we are thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We would not be here together without the Holy Spirit, and so we're thankful. And we are um, prayerful, and we will be praying shortly that the Holy Spirit, again, does an awesome work um, in our lives this morning as he brings us closer to Jesus uh, through the truth of the gospel. Well, last week, uh, loved ones, we... um, we started a sermon series on being devoted to discipleship, and I had to stop half midstream. Um, I didn't get to my second point, and so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at my second point on being dis- uh, devoted to discipleship in the church. I reworked it, I redeveloped it, and I basically created a brand new sermon um, from the second point uh, this week. Well, last week we focused on a discipleship. We'll get to the slides shortly, but last week we focused on discipleship in the home. And we learned last week that discipleship uh, with our children is extremely important, and maybe for, with our nieces and nephews and even our grandchildren, is an extremely important call on our lives. It's more than just a positive affirmations and good advice, so that's important with our children that they need to hear that. But discipleship cuts it a bit deeper. Discipleship says we know the hearts of our children. <laughs> we know that they are sinners, that they're creating God's image and that they've been given to us, gifted to us, so that we can teach them and train them about who Christ is in their desperate need for Jesus. And I shared last week that this is a full-time job. you got to be committed. You can't check out from parenting. For all those young couples who are about to have children, once you have them, you can't check out. You're engaged. The call to discipleship begins, begins in the home. But that was last week, and if you want to hear that sermon, you can find it online somewhere. (laughs) This week, we're looking at discipleship in the church. And I want to wrestle that theme out again and remind you of the importance of discipleship in the church. I was reminded again this week of this importance. I was sitting down with a member, actually a young couple that I'm going to marry. Uh, I don't know if they're here this morning, but I was sitting down with them, and she, one of the members said to me, you know, if it wasn't for um, someone discipling me when I was 18, I don't know if I would be here today as a follower of Jesus. She said, this woman kind of took me under her wings, and she just, she was an older woman woman in the church, and she just walked with me. She answered my questions. She was not annoyed by me. And she showed me Jesus both in her walk and in her talk. And that blessed me richly. Well, that's in some sense discipleship 101. That it's both the way that we talk and what we talk about as we, as we school our, our children and our friends and our members within the congregation. And as we walk that talk in front of them. Discipleship, here's a slide. Discipleship in the Christian sense, of course, is the process of making someone become like Christ. We want to see people more and more like Jesus. That's our prayer. That should be your prayer for each other and your prayer for your children and your grandchildren and your cousins and your aunts and your uncles and your friends. But I think you need to realize that as we look at discipleship in the church, we are looking at a reality now that we are in this together. It's not just me discipling you. No, in some, in many ways, the church of Jesus Christ is a discipling community that disciples each other. 
I like what Paul says, and I read this yesterday at our membership class, which was a blessed class. Um, it was a great joy to, to see everybody there, but I read this yesterday, Ephesians 4, verse 15, it says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as, as each part does its work. I don't know if you realize that, but it says each. Each part, as each one of us, as followers of Jesus, doing our part, building this community of fellow, of fellow believers to look more like Jesus. And so this morning I want to look at this theme, um, and we'll get into our Bible reading very, very soon, but this theme with these points, devoted to discipleship in the church. And we're going to begin with being. Being grounded in our joy in Christ. I talked a little bit about that last week. We're going to talk about that again. I think it's extremely important that we get this. Uh, secondly, our knowing, knowing Christ and imparting that knowledge to others, and doing, living um, like Jesus for the sake of the other. So being, knowing, and doing. Well, let's open our Bibles then to Philippians chapter 2, where we look, about, where we look at the idea of being a disciple of Jesus. What does that look like in our walk with him? So being... Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in, called Philippi, and he, it's a letter of joy. He has lots to say about what it means to be followers of Jesus. Well, let's read these words together. Philippians 2, verse 1, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being uh, like-minded, having... The same love being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to get back to that beautiful passage uh, shortly. I want to turn now in our Bibles to our text, and it was exactly the same text as last week, but I just didn't get a chance to preach it. <laughs> Crazy that, eh? Um, so we're going to preach it this week. Um, Acts 18, verse 18. There we read, Paul, no, verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left uh, the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off in Censoria. I, I was going to work on this the whole week. That's the best I got. 
because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, uh, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos uh, wanted to go to Achaia, the brother and sisters encouraged him to, and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted by his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving proving from the scriptures now that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord for a blessing over his word. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can open your word this morning. We thank you for how precious it is, and we want to hold it in high esteem. We pray, O Lord, that as the word is preached, that you will touch our hearts. We're so thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. With that Holy Spirit, Lord, we know that by Him we are changed from the inside out. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work that you're going to do on our hearts this morning. You're going to encourage us. You're going to convict us. You're going to remind us. You're going to mold us. And in so many ways, you're going to lead us closer to Christ. That's our prayer. And help us to not get in the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So devoted to discipleship, we're going to begin with being. Being grounded, uh, grounding our joy in Christ. Well, I think it's pretty clear already this morning and from our last week's sermon and from what you might know about discipleship that it's a duty given uh, to the church. I said already now this morning that we're called to disciple our children. We're called to uh, disciple each other. And um, Jesus, even in the Great Commission, says uh, you're called to disciple the world, make disciples of all nations. He's pretty passionate about us discipling each other, the world, our own families. And you all know that to be true. I want to explore this morning then this question. What keeps us from discipling? What stops us from discipling others? from serving others, from, from, from loving others, from teaching others, particularly teaching others within the body of Christ to become more like Jesus. What keeps us from doing that? It could be pride. It could just be calloused hearts that were just kind of cold to the needs of others. It could be our insecurities, our fears, our anxiety, our lack of self-confidence, maybe a lack of self-worth. Maybe it's because we don't feel loved and accepted ourselves that we have a hard time caring for the needs of others. We have nothing to give. 
Because the cup from which we want to give is empty. What keeps that cup empty is the question then. Before we get, I think Paul addresses this in Philippians chapter 2. But before we get to Paul addressing this question about what keeps us from discipling and loving others and serving others, I want to share a short story with you. Last week, uh, Monday, or this, yeah, last week, Monday, after I preached last week's sermon, uh, my friend called me, and he, and he calls me every few months. He's a pastor down in Chatham area. And he shared a story with me, and I want to share that story with you. It's a camp story. I thought, well, that's a fitting. You know, this is, this is a picture of campfire. I'm not sure if you've been there before. Um, beautiful camp. Um, uh, it wasn't this camp, though, so we can get rid of the picture. It was Camp Shalom, actually, that he was camp, uh, a counselor at. And he had a, every year he would serve as a counselor at this camp, and every year there was a boy that would come to camp that would be so disruptive, so rude, and every single year, they'd have to sit down with this boy and just remove the privileges from him as a remedial way to kind of stop him from his bad behavior. And once in a while, they had to send him home. He would paint on swastikas on his arms. He was angry. And so my friend, he was secretly praying, Lord, don't let him come into my cabin pack. I don't think you counselors, if you're counselors, you do that. Don't do that. Anyway, the Lord sent him into the cabin pack as he would. And so the very first day after they were getting together and they were opening, the, opening for their cabin pack devotions, which was they call that there too, um, he was immediately disruptive. He was rude. He was picking on the other kids. And Jay, my friend, had in his mind to tell the camper, if you continue to do that, you're going to lose your privilege to free time or whatever it was. But the words that came out of his mouth were, doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to lose any privileges. Doesn't matter what you do. And his co-counselors looking at him and say, are you crazy? And so he felt really burdened by this. He says, I don't know what really what happened. I just, I said this. So he went to the director. He said, I'm sorry, but this is what came out of my mouth. This was what I wanted to say, and this is what came out of my mouth. And the director says, uh, go with it. This may be of the Lord. So he did. So the next, that same day or the day after, as the, the next day, because he talked to the director the next day, as that child was very disruptive and rude, he said to the child, let's go. What do you want to do? The child said, I want to play Frisbee. So okay, let's go play Frisbee. The next thing he was disruptive at, what do you want to do? I want to kick the soccer ball around. Okay, let's go kick the soccer ball around. I want to go for a walk. Let's go for a walk. And he just attended to the needs of that child for the whole week. Near the end of the week, not before the very end, but near the end of the week, his brother came to him and said, thank you. They called him Uncle there. Thank you, Uncle Jay. I've never seen my brother this happy. He said to him, my brother and I have grown up in foster care. I've had the same foster parent or parents for my whole life. I'm about 14 now. My brother is 12. He keeps getting kicked out every year, half a year. He's been to so many homes. I've never seen him this happy. My friend started to cry. But not only was this young boy happy, he was hungering for Christ. He asked Jay, my, brother, my friend, for his Bible. 
He started to listen to the Cabin Pack devotions. He wanted to commit his life to Jesus. Why do I share this story? Because when the cup is empty, you got nothing to give but emptiness. But if Christ starts to pour his love into your heart, reminding you who he is, reminding you how much he loves you, you have something to pour out. If this was another cup, you would pour this cup into this person. This is you, and you're pouring love and truth into somebody else. That's what the Christian faith is all about. That's discipleship at its basic level. And Paul begins in Philippians chapter 2 in driving that point home. He begins here, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, this is an if-then statement. But it's not a clear if-then statement for all those who know the apotheosis and protosis, all that kind of stuff about, about grammar. I don't know those words. But it, it's, it's an if-if-if-if-if-then statement. It's like Jesus, you're sitting on, the, you're sitting on, a, on, a, on, a, on a teeter-totter, and Jesus comes down with the weight of his love for you, and the weight of his joy, and the weight of his compassion, and he presses down on that, on that teeter-totter, and you go, woohoo! propelled into action because of his goodness. It's many ifs, only one then then make my joy complete, basically serve other people. Love. I wonder this morning if you really know what you have in Christ. I wonder if this morning if you know the tenderness of his love for you, his compassion towards you, if you've meditated upon that truth. Some of you know uh, the preacher Francis Chan, someone sent me this link, so I'll just share it. Francis Chan, the preacher from the States, shares a story of a Christian comedian who, um, who asks why runway models, comedians can talk about these things, why runway models always look so mad as they walk down the runway, you know? That's what they do. They're so mad. He said, you know, depending on the designer, these runway models are making about 20000 a night. He said, they should be like, whoo down the aisle. Making 20000 and they're so mad? Francis Chan asked, why do Christians often look so mad? Why aren't we full of joy? Why isn't our cup running over? We've been given much more than $20,000, I hope you know, in Jesus. We are united to Jesus who says to us because of his love that your shame and your guilt from the past are removed. We are united by faith to the one who says, I died for you so that tomorrow or whenever you will die, you will be with me eternally in paradise. We are united to the one who became a slave for us, who became obedient to death for us, who conquered the grave for us, who's exalted in heaven for us, who sent his Holy Spirit to us, who says, I love you so much that even for all eternity, you will not be able to fathom the depth of my love for you. This is the one who loves us. If you have any encouragement, 
any comfort from his love, any tenderness, any compassion from knowing Jesus Christ, Paul says, then, then you're in a position to help others. And you must. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, count others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You know, this is discipleship 101. And Paul's not talking to people who are unchurched. He's talking to the redeemed. The Holy Spirit is talking to you this morning. You. Right now, right here, under my preaching, he's talking to you. Do you have any comfort from knowing Jesus? Do you have any tenderness and compassion in your heart from knowing the love that he has for you? You see, loved ones, here's the truth. If we don't understand that grace that we've been given, our hearts will be black holes of insecurity, black holes of lacking self-worth, desperate for words of affirmation, desperate for the applause of others, desperate for more likes on social media because the cup is empty. This is supposed to be empty now, and now it's full. So I'm not going to pour it all over the place. That's what I'm saying. I was going to tip it. Can we get a cup on the, on, on the screen here that's upside down? Perfect. Just like that. <laughs> but our cup will remain empty if we're looking for that to fill it. You see, even a billion likes on Facebook or Instagram does nothing ultimately to fill your cup. A billion. Loved ones, you need one like. And it's Jesus. Pressing on the keyboard of your heart. Like. That's all you need. That one like, loved ones, is a statement of love. That one like won't be erased by time forgotten in the cyber dump of past forgotten posts. His one like is a love that will never run dry. It's a promise of eternity with him. He wants to spend it with you. That's the source of joy that Paul had to become a discipler of the nations, a discipler in the church. That's the source of joy, knowing how much Christ loved him. And that fed this idea that the discipleship really is something of joy. We disciple out of the joy that Christ has planted in our hearts. That's the foundation, as we said last week, of discipleship. But that's also then connected to our knowledge of Christ. The sense of who we are in Christ feeds our passion to know him more. This is our second point. Knowing, imparting the deep truths of Christ. It's interesting how this dynamic works. That once we are hid in Christ, once we are united to Christ, once we know Christ, once we are known by Christ, this heart for him grows. And Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 9, these beautiful words, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I need one like on my heart. And I want to know who that like comes from. 
This is the dynamic that happens in discipleship. We have to be secure in who we are in Christ, yes, and then we will grow in our knowledge and understanding of Christ, and these will work in tandem so that we begin to put the needs of others before us. As we grow in our sense of being in Christ and as we grow in our knowledge of Christ, we have so much more to give to those who are walking in Christ and desire to know him. We become disciplers then. This is what we see in Acts chapter 18. In this encounter in chapter 18, we have um, some crazy words, but we also have Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. Mrs. Priscilla, just so you know, she's a Mrs. Mr. Aquila and the right reverend Apollos. That's who we're dealing with here. And there's this discipleship dynamic that's pretty amazing happening in our text. This is what we get in verse, um, in verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. He was a great communicator of the gospel. People are hanging on every word. He had such a following that Paul had to kind of deal with this reality in Corinthians because the Corinthians were like, I follow Apollos. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 4, for when one says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, are, are you not mere human beings? Are you not just acting like mere human beings? Stop that. Don't do that. But the point being is that Apollos was a pretty influential leader in the church. You might think that he was sacrosanct, that you couldn't touch him when it comes to discipleship. No, 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 no. We're in this together, loved ones. We're in this together. This is what we read. Verse 25b. And he taught about Jesus accurately from the Old Testament, though he knew only the baptism of John. Okay, now we have a problem with Apollos. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And I want you to notice that it was Priscilla and Aquila that invited them, him into their home and actually schooled him. And I want you to notice that every single time Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, Priscilla is mentioned first. And I want you to have a bit of conjecture with me, if you don't mind. You can fault me later. But the commentators on this give the conclusion of the reason why Priscilla is mentioned before Aquila is that she may have been more of an astute student in the Word of God than Aquila. That's conjecture. But it is interesting that she's mentioned first every time. The conversation may have gone like this. Now here, this is pure, this is pure conjecture, forgive me. Hey, Aqua, we really need to meet with Apollos and talk about his theology. And Aquar might be saying, like, really, honey? I thought it was an awesome sermon. It was, like, on fire. It was so good. But, yeah, I, I did have some concerns. Honey, he's not preaching the full gospel. He didn't even mention the Holy Spirit. And that's because he has failed to mention that the baptism we have now is in Christ. We got to invite him into our home, and we got to explain the gospel more clearly to him. Okay, honey, we're in. We're in this together. Let's do it. Okay, that's complete conjecture, but it could have happened. 
Because they invited him into their home and they discipled a preacher of the gospel. If you need to do that with me, don't be ashamed of it. You're like, after this sermon, I really need to do that with you. They were prepared in love to step out in faith and protect the gospel and explain it to him. There's two sides to discipleship, you understand. One is to being brave enough to share the truth with other people in the church, to help them. And the other side of it is being humble enough to receive it. And Apollos did. You see, here's the point, though, that discipleship in the body of Christ needs to have a deep passion, not for the person, but for the person of Christ and the truth of Christ. So when anything about Christ is being compromised, the truth about him, the truth about Scripture that concerns him, anything about that, when that happens, we got to step out in faith and begin to help people understand him more clearly. We're not going to play fast and loose with the Scripture. We're not going to play fast and loose with Christ. We're going to make Christ, people know that Christ is Christ and all that He is from Scripture. And we're not going to be ashamed about that. That means that mercy, we cannot be content with a surface knowledge of Scripture. We need to move on. We need to go deep. We need to have the roots of our faith planted in the deep testimony of who Jesus is, the deep testimony of the apostles, the prophets, and the writings. We need to be deeply grounded in the word of truth as a congregation. Because weak theology risks people abandoning the faith, especially our youth. More than once, I have listened to deconversion stories. You ever heard of those? They break my heart. They equally confuse me because of who Jesus is and what the other options are in this world. But sadly, sometimes it is the church's fault when there's a deconversion story. In part, in part because we do not have a robust understanding of the scriptures. And we're not able to let the scriptures speak because we don't know the scriptures. You have to understand, loved ones, that the Bible is robust enough to field the questions of the most arduous atheist. But for us to be able to have a robust understanding of Scripture to answer those questions, we need to know the Scriptures and know them well. And begins here off the pulpit, I get that. The discipleship begins here. I need to preach carefully the Word of God to you, and you need to listen, and you need to pray and pray and pray that the Holy Spirit does a work through me into your hearts. But as a federation, we've realized that even once a Sunday may not be good enough to kind of instruct our people in the faith, and so we, often, we offer this opportunity to come again uh, for a second service, which we call a, 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 a teaching service, an instructional service. We're not holding this yet at Mercy. We soon will be. But right now we're holding these at, at Blessings. To be further instructed in the truth. We teach our youth catechism so that they will be instructed in the truth. We hold small groups. Small groups are a great time for fellowship, yes, but they're also an important time to be grounded in the truth. Go deep. Even if people are new to the faith, walk with them and help them go deep into Scripture so that they have a solid foundation in scriptural understanding. It's so important. We hold prayer meetings we do various things together corporately that we need to be part of so that we will grow in our understanding of Christ and be known by him and in him and through him. That's the knowing. We have the being and we have the knowing. I'm going to close now with this, the doing. 
The doing is the living together for Christ. Discipleship demands community. So much of what makes discipleship discipleship is doing life, loved ones, together. That's what I've referred to often, and I've taken Nowen's point on this, studying the ministry of presence, that we need to practice a ministry of presence. We need to be present with each other. You see, discipleship in the church community and discipleship even in the Queston community is about being present, doing life with others. And that's why I'm so, so bold in my push to you as a congregation to make McQuestin as your home, whether figuratively or literally, because we need to be present in this community if we're going to disciple this community. Otherwise, it's impossible. We may as well close up shop, move our church somewhere else if we're not going to be busy with that. But if that's also happening in the community, it also needs to happen in the church, that we need to be present together. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up. Here it comes, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, some people say we're living in the last times, because we are. So what does the Bible say? You probably need to be spending more time together. Because the days are evil. And some, even among the elect, will almost lose their faith. And the beautiful thing, loved ones, is our example is Jesus. He's the example of being united to the Father, of course. He's the example of knowing the Scriptures, knowing the truth of who He is, and He's the example of doing life together. Someone put it this way, it says, It's easy to forget that God in his infinite wisdom did not ultimately send us a doctrine to follow or a creed to live by. That's all, that's all penultimate. That's below the ultimate. The ultimate is that he sent his son to live with us. To show us what it means to be disciples and be discipled. We are not, we're not an event-driven church. We're a person-driven church. We're not a creed-driven church. Ultimately, we're a person-driven church, and that person is Christ. I get it. The creed helps us understand Christ, but we're driven by Christ, and Christ was all about community. All about community. It's interesting. Paul follows that same example, that when Paul does his ministry, he's not first a letter-writing Apostle. I'm not sure why that took so long. He wasn't first a letter-writing apostle. He was first someone who came to these people. He did life with them, and then he, he, he taught them, and then he went home and sent them a letter because he couldn't get there. And we're so thankful for those letters, of course. But if you read through Acts 18, you, it, you get a sense that Paul really, really wanted to be everywhere at the same time. The ubiquitous Paul. 18 verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed from Syria, uh, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 20. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if, if it's God's will. And then verse 23. After spending some time in Antioch. I don't know if you know the correlation here. But there's a correlation between discipleship and time. Never forget that. The life 
of a discipler and discipleship is life on life. Spending time with those we want to see know and grow in Christ, walking with those who are in need of encouragement, teaching the scriptures to them, mentoring them, helping them, being present with them. And I'll be honest with you, I've served overseas for a number of years with my wife, as some of you know, in Papua New Guinea. Man, that was a really a community-based culture. They had a lot of time for each other. I came to Canada, we came to Canada, and everybody shuts their door of their house, and everybody's inside living their own little lives. Just breaks my heart. I get it, it's cold outside sometimes. But we live in a post-Christian, secular, even post-community age. And everyone seems to be fed through the dopamine rushes on their own personal devices. Not in the rush that you get from being united in community, but the rush that you can get from this, this interaction through cyberspace to some thing on the other side. I've long wondered and prayed about how a church can disciple well in the Western world. And I'm going to say it clearly right now. I don't really have an immediate answer. Our time is so precious, but our time is often used for personal gain. One of the reasons why the early church flourished and thrived was because people spent their spare time in community. It's one of the reasons. No one was lonely in the early church. No one was abandoned. No one was forgotten. Financial needs were all met. They, they just were serving each other and loving it. At least in Jerusalem. So how do we, you can answer this question yourself, I don't really know, but how do we disciple well in an age of loneliness, in an age of individualistic dreams and aspirations? How do we disciple well in this community? Some of that has been imbibed by us, and we live the same cultural identity as the world does. Very individualistic, very lonely driven, and very impoverished spiritually because of it. One thing that we can do, because I don't know what, I'm not going to be prescriptive here, it's way too hard. But one thing that we can do is set community as a priority. Set community as a priority. When we tap you on the shoulder to mentor or disciple someone in our church, please prayerfully consider what that means and do all you can to find time to do it. We encourage you to join in community-based initiatives in McQuestion as a community. Try to be present as much as you can whether it's the Friday nights in the park, the Tuesday nights at Oriole Crescent, whatever we do as a community. Come to your small groups. Be attentive in your small groups. Be present in your small groups as much as you can. God, loved ones, I mean, we, we, we desperately need each other. We do. And we need each other to grow in Christ. We need each other to disciple each other, to walk with each other, to mentor each other, to be near each other. But let me close with this very, very briefly. We need all three loved ones in discipleship. We need the being, the knowing, and the doing. As a Christian, being isolated from knowing and doing is selfish piety. If it's all about you, that's selfish piety. If your knowing is just without being and doing, it's going to become dead orthodoxy. You know a lot up here, but your heart is far away from Jesus. And if your doing is without being and knowing, it's going to be vain activism. You're going to be really passionate, zeal without knowledge. That's what's going to happen. 
So your, your sense of being in Christ, your knowing Christ and your doing are all bound up in your identity as a follower of Christ. That's a discipler. And if any of those areas are weak in your life, I'm going to pray that you work on them for God's sake. And then you're going to ask me, well, do we reach a graduation point? <laughs> when does a church graduate from discipleship? We are a disciple community. Finish that. Check the box. There's no graduation. There are baptisms of those who come to know faith, have faith in Jesus Christ as adults, or infant baptisms of believers. There's baptism. There's also profession of faith. That's a graduating point, a milestone in your life. But that's, that's, as far as discipleship goes, that's just the launching pad. That's not the arrival gates. The arrival gate is heaven. No, there's no graduation in the proper sense. Rather, there's this deeper, richer, growing union with Christ so that we become more and more like him. Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So we want people attached to Christ and we want people growing in Christ and we're going to continue to see that fostered until Jesus comes back. That's a thriving congregation. And we are going to sing very shortly. When on the day, the great I am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light, and we, loved ones, shall ere his people be. All glory be to Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for our call to be in Christ, and that's a spiritual gift. We get that. Something that we need to nurture by faith. We thank you, Lord, that you want us to know Christ, to be found in Christ, but to also impart that knowledge to others and not to be ashamed to do that sensitively, humbly. And you thank you that you want us to live that out. To, to check some of our personal ambition, some of our vain conceit for the sake of the other. And Father, we know that some of our personal ambition is all driven by our, the way that we monitor our time. Lord, help us to be a community-based church, also spiritually, for the sake of the other and for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.